So today is the beginning of daylight saving time. Clearly you all know that because you're here. You're not late. Um, so, so you guys realize that. And uh, maybe you're sort of like me and you're thinking, oh, it's great to have sort of the extended daylight later into the evening. But maybe you're also thinking, or as last night you turned your clocks forward, maybe you're also thinking, oh man, doesn't that mean we lose an hour of sleep? And I sort of feel like that. I feel like I recognize that fact and, you know, um, got up a little bit early. I always get up early on Sundays, but then when you lose that extra hour, it's all the earlier. Uh, but sort of with it being the start of daylight saving time, sort of time being, in a sense, the theme for the day on, on some level, I wanted to sort of continue with that theme and really give a sermon based off of that, sort of the idea of time. And, and a little bit more specifically, not just, hey, we're going to talk about time generally, but specifically the fact that we ought to, as followers of God, we ought to be making the most of our time. And I think all too easy, it's, it, it, uh, the reality is it's all too easy in many ways just to sort of waste away our time, not really leverage it uh, in service to the Lord, in service to his kingdom, in service to his glorification. It's all too easy just sort of to let the years sort of slip by one year after another, and then before we know it, you know, we're 70, 80, 90, however many years old, we sort of look back and sort of recognize we wasted all too much of our time, Right? And that time, it goes by quickly. It is fleeting from an eternal perspective, right? Not from an eternal perspective. We might think, oh, 80 years, you know, that sounds like a decent span of time. But from an eternal perspective, we realize that's nothing. That's just but a moment. It's here and then it's gone. And we have so little time that we ought to really prize and cherish every moment, but also leverage every moment for God in service to him, in service to his kingdom, in service to his exaltation and glorification And so that's really what I want to talk about today, making the most of every moment that the Lord has blessed us with. And we're going to take a look at some scriptures here. You can actually flip open with me here to uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. And I'll read this for us. It's Paul writing here, of course, to the Ephesian church. Again, chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Here's what Paul writes. He says, pay careful attention then to how you live. Not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Now I want to set the context here a little bit for us, because Paul is making this statement, particularly as we're thinking about time, we'll sort of zero in on that, making the most of the time, as he says here in verse 16. Right? He says this within a certain context, and particularly here Paul's talking really about Christian living. He wants the uh, Ephesian Christians here to really live lives that are holy. He wants them to live lives of obedience unto the Lord. And he recognizes that sort of the world around them is filled with all sorts of evil. That's what he means when he says, because the days are evil, right? There's, in, in that day and age, and, and nothing's changed even in our day today, it's still that reality that sort of all around the church, what do you see? You see, well, worldly living, worldly ways. The world is steeped in evil and wickedness. And so Paul recognizes that, and so he tells the Ephesian Christians, wanting them to live these holy lives, to sort of live out sort of the faithful Christian life, uh, here's what he tells them. He, he says, pay careful attention then to how you live. Basically, don't fall into that trap of living the way all the people around you throughout this Roman world, right? Don't live the way that they're living, but rather be, be careful, right? And of course, live in an obedient and godly manner. So he says, pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, right? Don't be unwise. Don't be like the people all around you. Don't fall into that trap of, 
of immoral living, but rather live as wise. And then he says here, making the most of the time. And I would say here, what Paul sort of generally has in his mind, I'll sort of talk specifically in the sense of the specific context of this passage, but sort of generally what is in Paul's mind is this reality of our days are short, right? If we think of a human life, it, it may sound like a decent span of time, maybe to those of us who are younger and sort of look forward and might say, oh, you know, if I've got 80 years on average, that's a decent span of time. Maybe those of us who are closer to that side of things might say, no, trust me, it, it goes by awfully quickly, and before you know it, you near the end. Uh, but the reality is, whether it seems long or not, the truth is it is not very much time. We're here and then we're gone. Paul recognizes that. And he also recognizes that we are called as God's people to live faithfully for him. That our whole, the whole of our lives should be all about him, all about serving him, all about glorifying and honoring him in all that we do. Paul understands that. And so in his mind, generally, there's this, there's this understanding of we have this small amount of time. It's supposed to be all about the Lord. We are his people. We ought to be serving him, glorifying him. We need to make the most of the time that we are given. And certainly a big part of that, and this is sort of specifically the context in which he's speaking here, is, is sort of your general Christian living, that he wants the Ephesian church to live sort of this, as we might think, a, a good, faithful Christian life, obeying the Lord's commands, right? Not, not falling prey to the way of the world all around them, sexual immorality, right? Every sort of sin, debauchery, right? Drunkenness, and you name it, any sort of sin, lying, cheating, stealing, right? It was rampant in the Roman world. It's still all around us today, right? He's saying, don't fall prey to that. Don't live that way. But rather, if you want to make the most of the time that you've been given, you should live a faithful, godly Christian life. And so that's sort of the specific context here, but Paul certainly means it in the most general sense and has it in the most general sense in his mind, even thinking of his own life. Think of Paul and how he understands his own life. Certainly he would recognize the importance of the time that we've been given, that it's a blessing from the Lord, but also a responsibility that we are to leverage it in service to him. And part of that is Christian living, and he would have affirmed that for his own life. But he would also recognize for his own life that he had a calling on his life to be that faithful uh, apostle to the Gentile world, right? He had this wondrous calling upon his life. And so to be, uh, to be making the most of the time that he had been given wouldn't be for him just sort of general Christian living, you know, I'll sort of live my quiet little life over here in a corner doing my thing, but rather he recognized there was a calling on his life, and if he was going to make the most of the time that he had been given, then he need to, needed to faithfully carry out that calling that God had laid before him. And he certainly did that, and faithfully so, going all across the, the, the Mediterranean Sea, right? Think of all those different places, the Roman world there, all across the Roman world, from city to city to city, right? Faithfully proclaiming the truth of the gospel, establishing churches, all those missionary journeys. He understood that God had given him a life, he had given him time, and that he was to use that time in service to the Lord. He was to make the most of that time, not sort of waste it away and say, you know, no big deal. I'll just sort of go about my own my own agenda, doing my own things, but recognize, no, I need to make the most of the time in service to God, honoring him in all I do, glorifying him in all I do. And I want us to look at another passage. We've sort of already talked about this a little bit, but sort of to say, well, what does it look like 
really to make the most of our time, to make the most of the time that we've been given. We sort of already have have talked about this a little bit, but I want to read for us Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Not that the exact wording here from Paul is to say, oh, you want to know what making the most of your life looks like, most of your time? Well, here it is. But in a sense, implicitly, he sort of answers that question of what does it look like to make the most of your time. And this is Romans 12, verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Right? What is he telling, of course, the, the Roman church here? What is he saying to them? This is what they are to do. And in a sense, what he's saying, it's not that this is explicitly said, but this is what your life ought to look like. And sort of, again, implicitly, this is what making the most of your time, the time that God has given to you, this is what it looks like. And in this, it sort of put simply, what does he say? It's basically offering up your life, all that you are, your bodies, everything, every moment of your life, everything that you have, all that you are, offering it up to the Lord, giving it over to the Lord and saying, all that I am, it's yours, and use it, Lord, as you see fit in service to you, in service to your kingdom, your glory. That's basically what he's saying here when he says, right, present your bodies or you could say your whole life, all that you are, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And what he says here is this is a spiritual act of worship. Worship isn't just sort of as we might think of it when we come here, gather together, and we sing songs of praise. That is worship. What he's saying is offering up your life and day in and day out, just living faithfully in service to the Lord in every moment is effectively an act of spiritual worship. Uh, And so that's what he's talking about here. But sort of as we're talking about, right, making the most of your time, sort of not that he uses that explicit language, but sort of implicitly what Paul is saying here is, here's what making the most of your time looks like. It's offering up the whole of your being, all that you are, offering it up to the Lord and saying, all that I am, I give to you and I, I put at your feet and use it all in service to you and your kingdom and your glory. That's making the most of our time. It's saying, Lord, my life, it's all about you. I'm going to make it all about you, serving you, honoring you, and glorifying you. And I think uh, that's probably something we could say, yeah, yeah, I know that. That makes sense, Pastor Steve. I sort of hear what you're saying. This is probably one of those where it's easier to understand that this is what it looks like to make the most of your time and that we as Christians ought to make the most of the time that we are given and and, and to use our time in service to God for his glory. It's easy to understand that. I'd say it's a lot more difficult to actually do and faithfully live out. I think in our day and age, we're awfully good. I think this is a timeless thing, but I'd say particularly sort of in our day and age, we're awfully good at wasting away time. And I don't mean that we don't also work hard, and I think that's true in fast-paced life, and we certainly work hard. But I'd also say that in our world, in our culture now, we're still awfully good at wasting away time in a whole variety of ways. Whether it's, you know, yeah, you work hard during the day, but then you get home, you have your dinner, and you sort of say, I'm just exhausted. I'm just sort of going to plop in front of the TV, and there's nothing wrong with doing this, but maybe it becomes a little bit wasteful related to time. God certainly desires us to have times of leisure just to sort of relax and rest and to enjoy him, to enjoy uh, his creation, to enjoy all of the blessings that he's poured out upon us. But it can also get to a point where we're not just sort of enjoying those blessings, but in a sense it starts to become wasteful in regard to our time. And so I think it's it's easy for us maybe to come home from work, you know, we're tired, we're exhausted, we, we plop down 
in front of the TV, on the couch, with a remote. We put something on, and again, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that, but if we sort of just sort of sit there for hour upon hour upon hour, you know, 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. before we now decide, okay, I'm tired enough, now I'll sort of retire to bed and fall asleep. And, And if you do that day after day after day, you start to realize how many hours are spent sitting in front of that TV, accomplishing nothing really of great purpose, nothing in service to the Lord, nothing for his kingdom, and couldn't that time be leveraged in in all sorts of greater ways for God, for his glory. Again, not to say there's anything wrong with saying, no, I just want to catch up on the news, I want to see what the weather is, or watch one of my favorite shows. That's fine, and that's part of the enjoyment that God desires for us to have in life, but there's also a place where we can take it too far, and it just becomes wasteful of, of time. But it can be all sorts of other things. I think uh, often our cell phones become one of those ways where we just sort of waste away time toward no end. You know, we sit there on our phones playing Candy Crush or who knows whatever game. Or maybe you're there on Facebook and you're just sort of trolling that endlessly. Again, nothing wrong with Facebook. It can be a good way to, to keep up with friends or family and what's sort of going on in life. But at the same time, I know people who can and have sat down on Facebook for five hours of straight, five hours straight, they're just looking at this friend and that friend, and then it leads them to a new website, and oh, what's going on in their life, and this and that, and it's just endless, and it's hour after hour, and at some point you say, you know, is that wasting away this prized, treasured time that God has given us, and we should be using it for Him, for His glory, not sort of to carry out our own selfish agenda and whatever happens to make us feel, you know, good in that moment, whatever we happen to desire in that moment. But again, I would say it's not just that we might waste away time with certain pointless leisure activities. There's good leisure activities as well. I don't want to, to, to negate that. But sometimes we can waste away time with actual work, right? We can actually at times be people who, in a sense, start to become workaholics, and that becomes our life. And it, it's all about, well, maybe it's all about your, your job at work, or even when you come home, all you're doing endlessly is working, working. I got this to do around the house, then I got to do that, then I have to do that. And that isn't what God desires. He certainly did create work, and he made work as good before the fall. Work isn't just a a product of the fall and sin. God had work for man to do before the fall, and it was good and wonderful. Certainly has been corrupted since the fall, uh, and it's not always so perfect. And we certainly know it can be laborious at times and toilsome, and that's part of the consequences of the fall. Work isn't intrinsically bad, but we can make it a bad thing when suddenly that becomes somewhat idolatrous to us, and that becomes everything to us. And the reality is God wants us to spend some of our time on other things in service to him for his glory. And when instead we say, no, 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 Lord, I'm not going to do those things. Instead, I'm going to do this work that I want to do. That becomes, in a sense, from God's perspective, wasting away the time that he has given to us and blessed us with. So I'd say in our world, it's very easy. And it's not just like, oh, here's Pastor Steve preaching to the congregation. Oh, he has it all figured out. He never wastes away his time. That's not the case. I'm just as guilty of it, I'm sure, as all of you are. There are times where I look, you know, maybe it's the end of the day, or I look back at the prior day and I say, man, I wasted away some time, you know, whether it was sitting on my phone or maybe I was watching TV or, or even if it's work, but it sort of was pointless toiling and not necessarily what, what God wanted me to be doing with that time. And I can at times look back and say, man, I wasted that opportunity. Not that I want to dwell on that. I want to look forward and say, learn from it and improve and not waste away time in that way. But but I certainly can be guilty of this as well. And I really want to lay before us now sort of two ways in which we can live our lives. 
One, of course, is going to be that of taking advantage of every moment, every bit of time, right? Every day or week or whatever span of time you want to use, every second, every moment, taking advantage of it for God and service to him for his glory. We'll talk about one story, one man who seems to have lived that out quite faithfully. But then I want to look at another story, sort of another option or path that lays before us, which is really the path of what I would say is, in a sense, your average American Christian and how he chooses to live his life. And I would say all too often it's wasting away time rather than using it in service to the Lord. And so the first person I want to talk about, this is sort of the one that we should aspire to and we would want to learn from, uh, is the life of George Whitfield. Certainly a well-known figure uh, in American history, in, in Christian history. Uh, he was an itinerant preacher, uh, not just in the, Amer- in the Americas, but he's certainly particularly well-known for that. But he did a lot of itinerant preaching in, in the UK, in, in England, uh, in Scotland, in Wales, in, in Ireland, even in Bermuda. But particularly he's well-known. He was alive in the 1700s. This is the era of the colonies. It wasn't yet the United States of America. Uh, and was well-known for preaching pretty much in every major town or city in all 13 colonies, up and down the Atlantic coast, uh, faithfully preaching year after year after year, day after day after day, uh, just had a passion for the Lord, a passion for serving him, a passion for seeing the lost enter into God's kingdom, and was motivated by that. He was, in a sense, you might think of him as a modern-ish, I know, you know, a couple hundred years ago doesn't sound that modern to us, but relative to Paul, in a sense, he was a little bit of a sort of modern-day Paul, someone who really had that spiritual fervor for the Lord, uh, who was willing to go anywhere, really, and travel all over the place just to see the lost get found, to proclaim the gospel so that people might enter into God's kingdom. And he did that, and unbelievably so. And I want to talk about some specifics of his life, and this is from a Christianity Today article. Uh, I'll just sort of pull out some bits for it but I want to read for us. Talking about George Whitfield, here's what it says. Over the 34 years between his conversion and death in 1770 in Newburyport, you can even go to, there's a church there that still has his remains. It's, I believe, down below underneath the church in Newburyport, not far away. That's where he was buried. Uh, But over the 34 years uh, between his conversion and death in 1770 in Newburyport, it is calculated that he preached around 18,000 sermons Uh, I can do the math for you. You don't actually have to do that 34 years, how many days in a year. Uh, It winds up being about one and a half sermons every day. Uh, Not not every week, right? But this is every day. Um, And, you know, ask your typical pastor, and he'll probably tell you that by the time Sunday's sort of over, you know, the service is done, you get home, most pastors would say, oh, I just feel pretty exhausted, pretty wiped, pretty drained. Uh, Apparently, if you asked Whitfield, he'd say, I'm ready for another one, and the day after that, and the day after that. Uh, One wasn't enough for him in one day, but he kept preaching and preaching. And again, that's not to say that it was one and a half every day during the height of his ministry. That's just if you want to take conversion to his death, the whole span of his life as a Christian. If you average that out, it's one and a half a day. And then the article goes on to say, actually, if one includes all of the talks that he gave, he probably spoke about a thousand times a year during his ministry. So about three times a day. Moreover, many of the sermons were delivered to massive congregations that numbered 10,000, some to audiences possibly as large as 15,000. And again, sort of think of 1700s. It's not like, 
you know, you got a microphone here and speakers so you can speak to a huge audience or it's the era of televisions and you can broadcast it all across the country or the globe. No, this is just open air preaching. No way of amplifying his voice. He was known for having an incredibly loud voice, which was certainly a blessing from the Lord so that he could be capable of preaching to so many people all at once. Uh, and if you even think of, of the details of this, you know, I think of, well, if he preached one and a half sermons every day, and really if it was more like three talks every day, and he has this booming voice belting it out all day long, how did his voice even last? How did he even continue to preach and have that, that ability uh, to project his voice so well? And, and even as you look at all of the other details of his life that we'll continue to talk about, certainly it couldn't be done in human strength. This was miraculous. Uh, that God enabled him to do this. Uh, It was only in God's power that he was capable of doing all that he did. But let's read on. It says, In addition to his preaching throughout England, he regularly itinerated throughout Wales, visited Ireland twice, and journeyed 14 times to Scotland. He crossed the Atlantic 13 times, stopping once in Bermuda for 11 weeks. Probably not a little vacation. We might think of that. Oh, let's stop off in Bermuda. It'll be nice, you know, enjoy it. I'm sure that was, hey, you know, this is a British possession. One more place as I'm crossing the Atlantic where I can preach the gospel. Uh, So don't think of that as a vacation, right? And he preached in virtually every major town on the Atlantic seaboard. What is so remarkable about all of this is Whitfield lived at a time when travel to a town 20 miles away was a significant undertaking. Right? This isn't modern day, you know, America or, or Europe or whatnot or England. It's not like he's living in today's world where, hey, you can zip from town to town, no big deal, that, that's easy. But rather, even just getting from one place to another was a great undertaking uh, in and of itself, just to travel from one town to another, to go by horse or maybe even on foot, but those are your two choices, neither of which, you know, in today's world sounds all that efficient and wonderful, but that's what he had to do, and yet that wasn't going to stop him. He faithfully went from place to place to place, even in spite of any hardship, preaching the gospel. It goes on to say, uh, about 80% of all American colonists heard him preach at least once. If you actually think about that, again, thinking about the era and what it would have taken to go and reach everybody in the colonies, right? And so it would have been a little bit more rural than it is today. And on top of that, there's no car. Again, there's no TV. So you can just prepare one message and pipe that into everyone's home and they all get to see it. Rather, he had to go from town to town to town, spending years preaching. But ultimately, he did that, of course, faithfully. And Right, 80%, four out of every five people in the colonies heard him preach at least once, right? And certainly, undoubtedly, many would have heard him preach multiple times. This is just unbelievable, right, that he actually accomplished this task. And of course, again, all in service to the Lord, and of course, again, through the Lord's strengthening and empowerment. And again, it wasn't always easy. If we read on in this article, it says, brutal mobs sometimes attacked Whitfield and his followers. Certainly, he was thought of very highly by many, but you know, anyone who's sort of famous in some way, you're going to have people who love you, who think you're the greatest, but you're going to have some people who think you're terrible. And he did have some people who thought he was terrible, and so they created obstacles at every turn. So brutal mobs sometimes attacked Whitfield and his followers, maiming people and stripping women naked. Whitfield received three letters with death threats, and once he was stoned until nearly dead. And then you want to get a little bit of a glimpse of sort of what Whitfield's life looked like sort of day in, day out, week in, week out, or some of the qualities of it. Whitfield usually awoke at 4 a.m., before beginning to preach at 5 or 6 a.m. So he's already going and preaching by 5 or 6, whether the sun's up or not. 
uh, in one week, and this isn't in one week in the sense of, oh, a particularly, you know, hardworking week. This is just in one week, meaning a typical week. He often preached a dozen times or more and spent 40 or 50 hours in the pulpit. Again, it's not he worked 40 or 50 hours. He spent 40 or 50 hours in a typical week actually preaching. And then you think about, well, what if you add in, you know, try to get in your mind, you know, how many hours did he actually work in a week? Well, you know, how much time does one spend in preparing for a sermon? Typically, you're going to spend a lot more time preparing for a sermon than you are in preaching that sermon. Uh, And then you think about, again, the logistics of this was, you know, quite a a number of years ago. And how did he get around from town to town to town? He had to just, you know, old-fashioned way, horse or on foot, factor in that that time in the effort that would have gone into that just to be able to then... Uh, accomplish this task that he that he did here, preaching 40 or 50 hours, undoubtedly the amount of work that went into that was vastly more than that. Just unbelievable. I don't even know how someone preaches 40 or 50 hours in a week. It just seems undoable. Uh, and humanly speaking, it, it is not very doable or doable at all. Uh, it certainly was done in the Lord's strength. But getting back to sort of the main idea of what we're talking about is this was a man who made the most of the time God had given to him. And I'm not saying Whitfield was perfect, right? He certainly wasn't, and he would have known that very well, and we certainly know that. But nonetheless, this was a man who, in every way, strove to really make the most of every moment that the Lord had given to him. He didn't waste it away. He didn't sort of say, oh, you know, I know God is great, and I love him, and, and I should you know, make my life all about him. But boy, there are things that I just want to do. And I want to go about my own agenda, sort of do my own thing, whatever I think will make me happy and bring me some pleasure in life. But he said, no, no, no. I love the Lord. He's everything to me. And I cannot help but just make every moment of my life all about him. I'm going to make the most of every moment. Use every minute, every day, right? Every hour, every second. Use it all in service to the Lord. For his glory, and he certainly lived that out awfully faithfully, and had a huge impact—a huge impact on on our country and its heritage and in its future. Had a huge impact on on sort of the English-speaking world, and still to this day has a great impact. And certainly, he did a lot for the Lord. But now, I want to sort of flip things over and say, well, you know, what sort of—that's one track we could say. Hey, we want to be like Whitfield. We want to follow his leading. We want to make the most of every moment, just like he did. He used every moment for the Lord in service to Him. Right? That's one path we could take. Or we could say, I just want to be like the average American Christian. You know, that sounds great. I'll be just like the rest of them. Um, And in a sense, this is, in my mind, what I would say is sort of typical of your average American Christian in regard to how he or she uses his time. You think of sort of the typical day, it's probably wake up in the morning and then, oh, you know, I got to get off to work. But again, even as that person heads off to work, the mindset isn't, uh, I'm, I'm going to work in service to the Lord. This is all about, you know, God and he wants me to provide for my family. So I'm going to go to work to be faithful to the Lord so I can provide for my family. Uh, right. It's probably not God centered in, in regard to the mindset of the person. It's probably more, oh, I'm going to work for myself because there are things I want to buy. It's for me. Right. There's probably a selfish mindset in many ways in that regard. And you go to work, you sort of do your thing. And then, you know, eventually you come home and probably your mind is on, uh, you know, whatever you want to do. Oh boy, I'm hungry. Let me get some food. Good. Do that. That makes sense. Um, but then that's done. And again, your mindset's probably on, uh, you know, it's been a long day, tough day at the office. Oh, my boss was terrible. Or, oh, that coworker just really takes it out of you. You know, whatever it is. And I just love to relax. And so then you decide, you know, whatever's going to make you 
be relaxing for you. Maybe that's TV, read a book, whatever. Uh, and you go about your business. You do that. And before you know it, you know, you're tired and you decide, oh, I'm going to head to bed. And maybe somewhere in there you realize, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. I should give the Lord some time. And so at some point over the course of that day, maybe you gave the Lord five minutes uh, just to, you know, maybe offer up a little quick prayer. Maybe you did your little quick devotion. You know, you get a little verse that gets sent to your phone. And that's a good thing. Nothing wrong with that. But, you know, it just becomes sort of a one or two minute thing where you give the Lord just a little bit of time. And then, you know, that's the end of the day. And then rinse and repeat day after day after day. And that might sound all too negative, but I think if you really took, and certainly there are polls out there, if you really take an honest polling of your average American Christian, that is what that average American Christian's life looks like. And I mean, you can even just go to many churches. Our church isn't like this, which is a good thing. But even just go to your typical American church, and and pretty much all of them will say, oh yeah, you want to talk about who's actually sort of engaged in church life, engaged in serving the Lord. Usually it's about 10% of the people that do about 90% of the work. And that's the reality. And the rest of the people sitting, you know, in the pews in their seats are just sort of happy to, to live for themselves and not really make the most of their time, not really engage in church life and serve. Fortunately, we're different. We're not like that. So I'm not saying we are the average American church or the average American Christian. But I'm saying this probably is an accurate representation of of the American church and many American Christians. And the reality is, is that so much time, even for people who not just identify as Christian, but truly do belong to the Lord and have true saving faith, in so many ways they just waste away their time. And ultimately what's going to happen is they're going to wind up, you know, 70, 80 years old, looking back on things, and if they're honest with themselves, looking back and saying, man, I really lived for myself rather than living for the Lord. I didn't make the most of my time. I squandered it. I wasted it away. Uh, And probably there'll be a lot of regret and and, uh, wishing that that person had spent his time faithfully in service to the Lord, right? Honoring God, doing something of value, of worth in service to God for his glory. And so I don't want us to be those people. I don't think we are that average American church. I don't think we are those average American Christians. But nonetheless, I could look at it and say, I don't think we're George Whitfield either. I'm certainly not. It doesn't mean that each and every one of us is going to be. But we can still look at these wonderful, great champions of the faith and sort of strive to be like them and to to live out our faith faithfully as they have. And so I want to sort of lay before us those two paths and and really challenge us to, to follow the leading of George Whitfield. Let's not waste away our time sort of doing pointless things, carrying out our own agenda. But really, let's leverage each and every moment for the Lord. Let's live for him, make the most of every moment, and use it in service to him, service to his kingdom, all for his glory. And I want to be a little bit specific in our challenge, not just say, uh, oh, here's a general application, but of course, make the most of your time. That's our application, generally speaking. Make the most of our time and use our time, the time God's given us in service to him and his glory. But I want to be a little more specific and really give us this specific challenge, and it's this. To really take a look at sort of our our usual routine, whether it's a a daily routine or sort of your your typical weekly routine. And do this prayerfully. Don't just sort of do it on your own wisdom and, and knowledge. But sort of prayerfully take a look at your week and identify where in your average day or week you are wasting away time in some sort of way. Doing something that is, is really just not necessarily the way God wants you to be living out that moment. It's just sort of a waste of time. It's not accomplishing anything of great purpose. Uh, not necessarily how God wants you to use that time. Prayerfully identify that 
that activity in your usual routine and then resolve not to do that anymore and instead to fill that. Again, do this prayerfully. Don't just decide on your own, in your own wisdom, how you're going to now use that time, but sort of prayerfully decide at the Lord's leading how you're now going to use that time in a meaningful way in service to God, in service to his exaltation and glorification. And so that's really our challenge. Look at your week. Do this prayerfully. Identify some sort of waste of time, in a sense, something that you do that's just sort of wasting away your time of no great value. Be rid of that and instead fill that time with something that is all about God, serving him, accomplishing something for him, for his kingdom, for his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, you have blessed us with the gift of of life, of time here on this earth, but it is certainly short. It's here one moment and then the next it's gone. Eighty years might sound like a good bit of time, but it's nothing. It's nothing in the grand scheme of things and in eternity. And I pray that as we think of our lives, Lord, that we wouldn't be like what I described as the average American Christian who tragically wastes away his days, not really living for you in any great way. Let us not be like that, but let us be challenged to follow the leading of men like George Whitfield thinking of someone like the Apostle Paul.